Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio show for episode number 1368, entitled Eternal Combustion Engine. Our podcast title is Quantum Pod, because everything goes so much better when you just add quantum to it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> including us. Yeah, including us. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today we are looking at, oh my gosh, where are we? 24th, 23rd, how many, how many Marvel 26th, films? the 26th film in the MCU, and we're well into phase four. Uh, yeah, we'll be taking a look at Eternals, mm. the uh, much-anticipated and divisive, it turns out, latest entry. Has it really been much anticipated? I, I, I didn't get much of a buzz about it. From Actually, no, fair to say. I would say I guess it was announced and then kind of bubbled along for a long time and then all of a sudden it's here. But you're right, it actually did come a bit out of the blue because I think we were just focused on Shang-Chi and then Ooh. while our attention was diverted, Eternals kind of popped up out of the ether. Well, that, um, that's it, isn't it? Because of the pandemic we've had in rapid succession from our point mm-hmm. of view, we've had um, Black Widow and Shang-Chi and, you know, one an established character that we know well in the MCU and another one, a brand new team, essentially. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And now here we are with another new to the MCU team. Yeah. So we're having to juggle a bit of saying goodbye to old friends and then, of course, the process of introducing some new characters, mm-hmm. the new mythologies into the MCU. So Eternals, Shang-Chi was an example of that where we did get a little bit of overlap with previous movies, but Eternals is another entry that's really much about introducing a whole new idea. Yeah. So, yes, released uh, end of October on the 28th, so it's out in cinemas now, so you can trot along and catch Eternals. I don't think any news on when it might hit Disney+. Plus. I think this is one you'll have to see in the cinema, um, although Shang-Chi is now on streaming, so if you have a Disney Plus subscription, it's now included in there, so you can see that one at home. So Eternals is, as mentioned, Phase 4, the 26th, film and it was directed by Chloe Zhao. Now Chloe's a filmmaker originally from China. She was born in Beijing and she's made several excellent dramatic films over the last few years that have received a lot of praise and critical acclaim. Uh, That includes The Rider and Nomadland with Frances McDormand as well. It's kind of the her first foray into a big budget film. A lot of her films have been made on a limited budget before. And so I think a lot of people were curious, as has happened with other directors who've moved from smaller projects into bigger budget projects, yeah. how that would go. And, you know, we've seen it mixed success, and I'm not just talking about MCU, but other big blockbusters that have brought on up-and-coming directors um, and, you know, mixed results, I think, which is fair to say. So... What I thought was interesting is Zhao actually sought out the Marvel gig 
So, you know, there's been a bit of talk about, oh, you know, plucking these directors from doing what they're doing and getting them to do these kinds of films. But she's an MCU fan. She made it known she was interested in doing something for Marvel and she wanted to be involved in the MCU. And she was considered for Black Widow, actually, as well. They had a yeah, they had a nice little panel of people they were considering before Kate Shortland ended up snagging that gig. Um, but, yeah, she was up for consideration for that. She really wanted to work with the Marvel team and when she got the Eternals gig, they've given her a lot of creative freedom uh, to do it in her kind of style. So one of the examples is there was a lot more on-location shooting because that's something that she's very big on. She does a lot of in-situ type film. So... That was very interesting when that was all announced. I'll just make a quick note on the side there. Zhao, one of Zhao's upcoming projects, she's actually going to be doing a sci-fi western, which is a take on Dracula. So, Okay. That's not, you know what, that's not the most unusual Dracula project I've ever heard of. Yeah. Well, see, this is it. It's Universal's trying to reboot Uh, um, all these monster films uh, because they've got all these monster properties. So started with the invisible man and then they're uh, doing like a wolf man and all that stuff. So gosh, we've got another thing to keep track of. Um, But anyway, so that's upcoming for her. So this film, Eternals, written by Chloe as well. Chloe Zhao, in addition to Patrick Burley, who wrote was, uh, has a credit on Peter Rabbit 2 and will also be working on another upcoming film with uh, within the MCU and also Ryan Furpo and Kaz Furpo. So I looked up the credits for these other um, co-writers and they all seem fairly new. They don't have a lot of credits under their belt, so I thought that was quite interesting. The Furpos are cousins, by the way. Ah, uh, yes. I figured there'd be some kind of family connection there. But, yeah, it seems like a couple they're fresh out of film school and, and kind of embarking on, uh, you know, fresh voices and whatnot. So, anyway. And we, of course, have a score by the reliable Raman Dijuadi, uh, and we'll hear a little snippet from that later on, something from the score that he's done. And this kind of incarnation of Eternals is based on the comics by Jack Kirby. So now I'm highly unfamiliar, but I take it you're a bit more well-versed on the Eternals in their comic form. Would that be fair to say, Rob? Certain parts of their fairly, uh, fairly mm-hmm. immortally long story arc. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I'll mm-hmm. give you a bit of a preamble on this. The comic books were created, well, written and drawn by Jack Kirby, and we all know Mm -hmm. Jolly Jack the King Kirby, (laughs) uh, creator and co-creator of so many Marvel and indeed DC characters, and further from that too, uh, Captain America, and I mean way back in the day, back in the uh, 30s, 40s, and the X-Men in the uh, later Marvel era when it stopped being timely comics back in the 60s, uh, Hulk, the mighty Thor, the yep. Fantastic Four, <laughs> Silver <laughs> Surfer, and over in uh, DC, the New Gods, and most importantly, along with uh, artist Don Heck, Kirby designed the Iron Man character. So, you know, of course. enough yep. said. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and not just, say, for example, not just the Mighty Thor, but the entire pantheon of characters from Asgard that went along with him. So anytime he did that, there was a whole bunch of supporting players. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he invented um, the character of Hela 
Oh. The Asgardian universe as well. Played it's, by Kate Blanchett mm. to lovely with lovely results. And you see a lot of the echoes of Kirby's artwork in the costumes of other MCU characters, but we'll get mm. onto that in a moment. Uh, in 1976, he created the Eternals character on which this film mm-hmm. is based. Now, Kirby had left Marvel Comics in 1970 to work for DC. Artistic mm-hmm. differences. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the artist. Creative differences of some kind is always the logline for that stuff. Uh, you know, usually it's not paying him enough money, which is f- fair enough because Kirby just sat at his desk and he just churned stuff out, high-quality yeah, artwork, yeah. and it just mm-hmm. got better and better and better over time as far as I could uh, comment. And where Kirby went even more cosmic was when he got back mm. to Marvel. So he'd already been like um, – when he was at DC, he was clearly enthused by the expansion of the science fiction genre in 1970 on the screen. Right, uh, yep. And editors were picking up on that too. So mm. he invented a, a comic book called Commandy, a character called that, uh, which was set in a post-apocalyptic world where talking evolved animals ruled over remnant human and civilization. So, yes, DC mm. had failed to get the rights to Planet of the Apes, so they came up with their own variation. <laughs> they did their own thing, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, he also created a massive multi-titled universe called The Fourth World for DC, and elements of that continue to fuel the DC comics and movies and television series to this day. So, you know, we saw Darkseed in uh, yeah. the long cut of Justice League and uh, other characters <laughs> like that have, have popped up along the way. Mm. Um, so back to Marvel, after all of these DC comics that he'd done were cancelled, yeah, uh, he went back to Marvel and he was still cosmic. And yeah. he created this Eternals universe, not dissimilar to some concepts from the fourth world one at DC, but he was mm. riffing off Eric Von Daniken's pseudoscience book, Chariots of the Gods. I don't know if you've oh, okay. ever heard, heard of that of one. Heard of that one? Yeah. Actually, that's, that's where I almost went wrong. I read a lot of those pseudoscience books back in the 70s, you know, Bermuda mm. Triangle, Loch Ness Monster, Abominable Snowman, Mystery, you know. Yeah. And it, yeah. it, it quite fascinated me and then I realised it was all nonsense. It <laughs> <laughs> went to science fiction where at least we admitted that it was nonsense. True. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> they took that idea and Chariots of the Gods basically said that um, aliens had visited Earth back in the ancient era and were responsible mm-hmm. for things like the pyramids and, you know, that kind of thing. Yep, yep. Um, classic kinds of theories and things like that. Postulated aliens on Earth watching and or guiding humanity and so on. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Kirby took this concept and created his own race of cosmic space giants who'd visited mm-hmm. Earth. And I mean really big, bigger than Godzilla. They could wade through clouds. And these these creatures were called the Celestials. Oh. And the Eternals of the comics and the movie are uh, their practically immortal superpowered ancients on mm. earth and mm-hmm. the eternals well their character names uh mixed in with our own human mythology so you've yeah. got like icarus the boy who flew too close to the sun and mm-hmm. thena for athena yeah. uh, mm-hmm. makari mercury or yeah. circe who was circe from the odyssey you know, mm. the, uh, the sorceress who could uh, transform men into pigs, 
that sort of thing. Not such a big transformation, actually, in a lot of cases. <laughs> I have to I have to admit on my own behalf. Now, in spite of characters battling a Hulk robot in the comic books and adventuring with a pre-20th century god of thunder, the mm. Asgardians, well, well, they were also long-lived as well, so you imagine they'd yeah. intersect there. But in spite of all that, it never really felt like the Eternals fit into the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yes. I can kind of see that, actually, how you start to incorporate it with some of the other things going on and mm. find ways they can interact with some of the other superhero properties that are going on at the time. And they did. Eventually it was used to help retcon the trope of Earth being a nexus for superpowered individuals and races, more than a coincidence. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. even, like a hellmouth. Yeah. Even the race of Titans, of which Thanos is a member, mm-hmm. uh, was retconned to make him an eternal. So other writers, and I, when you say other writers, it's like Neil Gaiman and Karen. Just some guy. Just some, some guy. Writer. Yeah. And yeah, I think he used to work for 2000 AD or some rag like that. Kieran Gillen also, and a celestial host of other writers have contributed to Mm. it over the years Mm -hmm. and have got Mm -hmm. their own famous arcs of it. Uh, Known for Jack Kirby's massive cosmic concepts, you know, bigger than a thousand lives and planets galore, and very psychedelic too. Yeah, it's a little bit philosophical, but at the same time, yeah, it's got that psychedelic edge of the mind-bending ideas and what is the what is the edge of the universe and the birth of the universe and yeah. all of this kind of thing. No, mm. no shortcuts there. Just let's go no. for the big stuff right off. <laughs> Absolutely. It, and some of this has filtered into the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, before. We've seen mm-hmm. a, the Celestials in a couple of the movies now sort of appearing in in, oh. uh, in bits and pieces, and I do mean bits and pieces in, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the Celestial uh, <laughs> depicted there's the, a remnant head of one of them being uh, used as a headquarters, basically. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the, these concepts have spilled over into the MCU. Yeah. And, and so that brings us up to the movie. And yeah. I think we should have a track now. Yeah, let's take a bit of a listen to something from the score to get us in the mood to talk a little bit more about the Eternals film and how it might uh, take some of the comic themes and what it does with them and how it all goes. So let's take the Eternals theme by Raman Dijuwadi from the new film. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. That was the uh, Eternals theme from the score to the new Eternals movie, the 26th film in the MCU. Uh, that was uh, from the score by Raman Dijuwadi. So Rob and I are dissecting a bit about the latest in all things Marvel. So let's talk a bit about the film itself. So Rob, you gave us a bit of background on Eternals as they are in the comics. Now, so the film, it's a big film. Uh, as you might have gathered, there's a lot of, it's got a large scope, there's a lot of characters and concepts to introduce. And not just that, there's also a lot of history, backstory ideas to establish and kind of get moving, as well as a plot to, you know, sustain us through the film and get us to care about the characters. So there's doing a lot. Uh, and so it, it's not that much of a surprise that the runtime of this one is over two and a half hours. Now, I didn't think it felt long. Um, did you feel, what did you feel about the runtime, Rob? Because two and a half, it's a doozy. I, I actually did feel like it ran long for mm. me. However, yeah. um, 
it didn't run as long as the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. <laughs> and, and even though I have my issues with Eternals, I didn't come out of it feeling like it had drained all my will to live. As oh, okay, a, good. A, well, tick in that column then. But that bar is pretty low. <laughs> I know. You've really not set us up. When we're bringing Zack Snyder's Justice League into the conversation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, let's get to thoughts and feelings in a bit. But I'll give you the summary of our plot. So there are, of course, surprises in store but we won't ruin any of those for you. It's still only just come out, so definitely we don't want to go into spoiler territory, so don't worry too much about that. Uh, We'll try and keep it as top level as we can. Essentially, the film introduces us to the Eternals who have kind of been with us throughout human history. So it pits the Eternals, these immortal beings, and they've each got a different unique uh, superpower or ability. It pits them against the Deviants, which is this kind of weird, savage, beast-like creatures um, that are also on Earth. And so the Eternals are sort of protect, cast into this protector role by their bosses, quote-unquote, the Celestials that Rob mentioned earlier. And so the Eternals do just live out lives on Earth. So this is over centuries. This is a very long period of time that we're talking. This isn't like couple of decades, they live out their lives on earth and they maintain this constant vigilance of protection, ready to fight and eliminate the deviants whenever they pop up. And at some nebulous time in the future, once their mission is complete, because they are a team, like the idea is that they, you know, they follow a leader, they all have these different roles and they're there to their focus is this, this deviant fight. So once they've completed their mission, they can return to their home on Olympus. So this is kind of the setup of our film and we follow them as we see a little bit of their past and then we also cut to some of the lives that they're leading in what we could call a a now, a future now. Um, And I think one of the big things is, yeah, the characters. So we've got who who are the Eternals. (laughs) What a cast list. Absolutely. And I think this one is a real example of actual diversity and representation in film, I think. Like we just have, uh, and I think it is done organically, but it's got a lot of really great representation here. And so I think that's something that definitely should be called out in it for positive reasons. Uh, and as you mentioned before, Rob, they all have these familiar names because the idea is that through their presence on earth and in our history, they've inspired different mythologies and different things like that. And so that's why we've got that overlap. So shall we run through a couple? I'll start with Circe. So Circe is probably in an ensemble film as much as we could call the protagonist. I'd say she probably has the most airtime and she's the one we're really connecting with and going on the journey through the eyes of Um, and she's played by Gemma Chan. And so we've seen Gemma Chan, and if you think she did have a role in Captain Marvel, but it was a role such that she can easily be recast here uh, in a sort of a main headline role. And she was also in Crazy Rich Asians, which is, I think, top-tier rom-com. So Cersei's character is, she's a very different kind of superhero in that she's very empathetic. She is gentle and thoughtful and has a very sort of more quiet energy and her special skill is that she can transform matter. So there's some really great sequences of her transforming things to water or to rock or, you know, so on. And and I think that's done really well, but it's also sort of seen and presented in the film as somewhat of a passive power. I would also add that she's 
been, and this is funny because she was also a character in Doctor Who, Waters of Mars. So, oh, there you go, but, the element theme. Yeah. And also, and this is this this is hilarious <laughs> to me at least. She was in an episode of the animated series Thunderbirds. I go playing oh. the, the voice of a professor, and the episode's name was Icarus. <laughs> it's all. <laughs> It all links up. It all links up. Coincidence? I think yes. And speaking of the man himself, Icarus, so uh, he's played by Richard Madden. He's definitely held up as our second kind of person of interest. They've got, I mean, this is in the trailer, a charged history, a a loving (laughs) and fraught relationship, you know, star-crossed lovers, all that jazz. Um, And his power is that he shoots these laser beams from his eyes and they've made it look less silly than Cyclops. I think it actually looks pretty cool the way they've done it and he flies around as well. So he's like flying and shooting lasers and and whatnot. And which character does he remind us of from the DC universe? Bad Superman? Yeah, exactly. Well, look, here's, you know, it's this is Kirby there. He worked on the Superman comic books as well. So Mm-mm-mm-mm. to me this feels like he's when he created Icarus, there's, you know, it's also like Orion in the uh, the New Gods as well. So mm. he's definitely doing that. And they even, and this is kind of a, not really a spoiler, but they, they name check uh, the mm. Superman and Batman comics in this film, which raises the fascinating possibility that, that Batman and Superman are fictional characters in the Marvel universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he's very much recognised by everyone on the team and in general presented in the film. He's very strong character. He's arguably one of the strongest team members. He's quite serious and brooding uh, and he's definitely got our main protagonist vibe despite, as I mentioned before, I think he is probably a secondary character. Well, I was going to say, why does you – know, I've, I've only seen him as Rob Stark Richard Madden yes, in Game of, of Thrones. But mm. um, I swear he looks like Henry Cavill's brother. <laughs> I guess once you shave off all the beard and and remove all the furs, uh, he he's in a really good series called The Bodyguard as well. Okay. Uh, and I think he's been in a few other things. I'm keen to see him more. I'm a big fan of Richard He Madden. was in that movie 1917, the World War I. Ah. ah mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. In fact, I do know that Chloe Zhao was kind of influenced by – Man of Steel, and uh, yes, yeah, so for Icarus's sort of take on the character vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go with who should we look at next? I think Kingo. So he's Kingo. another um, <laughs> key character. He's played by Kumal Nanjiani, and the power that Kingo has is shooting beams from his hand, which is pretty cool. He kind of has these energy balls that he can like. Very with a, a lovely flourish, yeah. shoot off, and and so he's quite powerful in that way. And he's also carved out a very nice Earth career for himself as a Bollywood star, yes. which I think is <laughs> you know really a fun element of what is I would say ostensibly a quite serious film. So he is a more light character. He's quite quippy, and he brings a bit of the comedy elements and the lighter elements. And I know that when Chloe Zhao cast him. She was like, I want you to really infuse Kingo with your, because, you know, he's a comedian, the actor mostly, infuse him with your sensibility. That's why I've picked you because I would like, I see Kingo as you. So she's very much about, you know, organic acting. And he's not a dancer. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> he actually <isn't> he <laughs> but he does have a great, some great, they have fun with uh, yeah. with the, the Bollywood intro for him too. And, and he's yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's, he's uh, been cast as Obi-Wan in the new Disney Plus series. I did not know that. I think that I'm, oh, I'm really pleased that he's doing, like getting some really interesting meaty roles. Um, so that's Kingo. All right, next we'll go to Sprite. So she's probably another key one. Uh, she's played by Leah McHugh, which is almost my name, <laughs> Leah McHugh, and she is a tween, I guess, who can create these illusions. And a little bit Loki-esque. Mm. She's roughly about 12 or 13. She's a little bit bratty, but she's also living with this pain of the struggle of never getting to grow up and being, you know, the old (laughs) interview with a vampire, you know, long-lived immortal inside the young body of a child. So, Yeah, good good pick. mm, mm, mm. So she's an interesting one, and I actually think Leah McHugh does a really nice job of infusing her with the feeling of this not – precocious i think she does well to elevate it above being a precocious child you actually kind of get the energy that this is there's a person who's lived a lot of years and just because she's in a child's body she's got a bit of you know zazz let's say they actually uh, again um, chloe Zhao has been inspired by the comics in this one so she actually pulled out a lot of sprites character from neil gaiman's run on the uh-huh. nice on the character Nice, nice. Um, We do have a lot of people here, so let me just kind of give some broad overviews of the others that we've got on the list. I think uh, another one to call out I think would definitely be Ajak, who's played by Salma Hayek. She's the leader of the Eternals, and her ability to heal herself uh, comes in handy. And that's a gender swap from the comics. Is that right, Rob? That's a male character in the comics, and so they've they've made Ajak female leader here, which I think is a nice... um, I think she said as well when she got the role, she liked the idea of bringing a more maternal energy but this warrior energy as well and she liked this kind of role because she was hesitant to come into the MCU but she liked the Ajax character and, the, you know, the possibilities of that one. Um, all right, let's run through a couple of the others. We've got Fastos, played by Brian Tyree Henry. He's an inventor and he sort of shares his ideas with humanity. I think this is kind of around the, you know, progress and where progress came from. And he feels, I think, a bit heartbroken by how humanity can, the turns humanity can take, I suppose, and the responsibility that comes with that. We know BTH as the voice of Miles Morales' father in the uh, Spider-Man Into the Multiverse movie. Oof, plus, that's a good one. Plus he was in the Joker movie too. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's great in this. Um, we've also got Makari, as you mentioned, played by Lauren Ridloff. Now this is, I want to call this character out too because this is the first MCU character who is deaf and played by an actress who is deaf herself. And so I feel like this is a really good example of actually casting people in those roles. and. Her power is she moves at super speed, so they have a bit of fun with that in there as well. And we've also got Druig, played by Barry Keoghan. (laughs) Not sure on that. Barry Keoghan, I would say. Yeah, we go. Uh, and he can manipulate minds. And so this is a bit of a struggle for him as to, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. That character is a little bit harder to get a sense of. He comes off a bit 
uncaring with a bit of an edge, but I think there is a bit of a softer side. They don't really have enough room in the film to flesh him out as much as I think would have been nice. Now this is another a character swap. Ah. But, and it's, I'm thinking, is this a spoiler? No, actually it's not a spoiler because I don't, do anything like that, which is a spoiler in itself. Oh, dear. Uh, but uh, he was originally in the comic books, he's a deviant. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, all right. Okay, okay. Uh, who else? Oh, of course. How could I forget? Angelina Jolie is in this as Thena. So she plays a warrior who has these cool cosmic weapons that kind of just appear. And so her fight choreography is is great. I think there's some great oh. battles and oh. that. It just stands out. And so she there's a lot of talk that she inspires, like Athena, the goddess of war. And then we've also got uh, Gilgamesh. So Gilgamesh is played by the actor Don Lee. So he is has epic strength and he has these kinds of cosmic fists. And Don Lee has a back, boxing background and so he has this great physique for it and I think is really well cast. But he also has this soft side, which is also – leans into a bit of the comedy elements as well. And, yeah, he kind of plays a bit of a protector role of Thena. And he was in Train to Pusan. He was. Well. But I first saw him in The Good, The Bad and The Weird. Ah, oh, nice, nice, mm. nice. So that's probably everyone, I think. So that's a lot of characters. Oh, we've also oh, let me talk about the token human. Kit Harrington, uh, another Game of Thrones alumni, appears as Dane Whitman. So he works at the Natural History Museum with Cersei in the now times and is her love interest. So we've got like, <laughs> we've got a Jon Snow, Rob Stark love triangle again here because oh. they're both fighting for <laughs> Gemma Chan's affections. But, ah, <laughs> uh, well. Um, well. So, yeah, that is kind of a rundown on some of our, There's, I mean, yeah, there's a lot there and you can tell that it's going to be a struggle to juggle when and how you introduce these characters and who gets fleshed out and how you can form a bond for them and keep it. Because with something like Guardians of the Galaxy, yes, that's another ensemble, but you're juggling, what, six characters or so? And here you've got lots, loads, and they've all got different interests and they're all scattered around for parts of the movie as well. I would suggest that it's the sort of task that you might want to pitch at really, really experienced directors like James Gunn or the Russo brothers or Whedon or somebody like that because yeah. uh, all of those have handled ensembles before on television or in movies. Yeah. They have a lot yeah. of experience doing so. I think we should uh, have another track here now. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go with a track called New Gods, and this is from, mm-hmm. uh, from um, an album – to do with Jack Kirby. It's Requiem for Jack Kirby, basically. New Gods referring to his DC characters. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. There we are. A bit of jazz there, or <laughs> Jazz Kirby, Requiem for Jack Kirby from Greg Bendian's album New Gods, and that was the title track, referencing Mr. Kirby's DC characters, the creator of the Eternals characters, both in word and art, as was often Jolly Jack's Mm -hmm. way. All right, we are talking about the film Eternals, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe's 
latest entry, although that gets a bit fuzzy when you're talking about the pandemic, you know, there's like time and space. It, it just does. I do think it does qualify as the pancake on the top of the stack for sure. So what's we're at the point where we should talk about our thoughts and feelings. What I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, Rob. Okay. Because you're fresh out of it too, I think. You're, yeah. You're still processing. Mm. Wow. <laughs> okay, look, we've told you that it's a, a cosmic level epic movie. Yes. Possibly too. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel that it's it's too much. Um, look, Marvel can introduce a whole new team of superheroes without giving us them uh, in individual packets like they did with the Avengers. Yep. It's not like that's just the turf that defaults to DC movies. I submit the Guardians of the Galaxy for one, you know, new characters mm-hmm. to cinema goers at least. Um, and they almost quite manage it here, I think, in the Eternals movie as well, but I don't think they really do get the team to gel properly. And that is partly to do with the plot mm-hmm. and partly just the fact that the director and the writers, just they don't, just don't pull it off, basically. Yeah, I have to say, I think that I really resonates with some of my thoughts as well. I did think that there's a lot to cover here. So, you know, where it's expansive, we're spanning dimensions, there's a lot of ideas getting thrown around. And I think the gelling of the group to anchor something like that is super important and having characters that you can latch onto and you understand their rapport and what they mean to each other. I think that is going to be the heart of a movie that can jump around and, you know, and I think if you think a bit about Infinity War, obviously a lot of those characters had many movies to be established, but the reason it could jump around so much and have, be juggling different time periods and different dimensions and different planets is because we were really anchored by the characters, and I do think that's missing. And I don't think that's the fault. I think the acting is superb. I think the actors are really nice choices for all the characters. There are some complex relationships and there are some interesting ideas about you know, what they all mean to each other as these Eternals that have kind of lived as a team, but it's falls short of being explored enough in my eyes as a cinema goer. And I think as well, just the fact that these elevated beings means that, that they're harder to relate to. Like Thor's a god, but he has had some badass luck and really suffered a lot and it you know there's different things that made him relatable I think here some of the issues that they're facing are a bit navel gazy and that also stops you from really I mean they're flawed as they're still flawed but I think some of the the, the struggles aren't quite they don't quite get you and, and I think the most unwelcome member of this new team of superheroes is Captain Exposition Oh yes. There's a lot of tell not show, which which is a pity since there's actually a lot of potentially interesting content there. Mm. And I kind of think they should have let the in-team storyteller Sprite tell it. Because <laughs> and, and I thought of that as a joke, but then I thought, whoa, that's actually genuinely a good idea because if she'd been <laughs> the narrator, given her yeah. interesting character arc, that could have worked very well. I think there's other ways. Like, I mean, the opening crawl already I had to be like, oh, gosh, okay, I've got to focus. What is this saying? Mm. I have to, you know, get my mind going because that opening crawl of the little intro text, already I was like, wait, what? And they um, give us too many yeah. title location cards saying Chicago, oh, yeah. present day, and it's like every five seconds you just go, look, I, I'd actually, 
you know, just give us some signage on a bus or something or go on fast. <laughs> and, and here's another big problem. The dialogue it just doesn't often sing or or impress us with the full mind-bogglingly epic scale of things that it should do. You know, there's a, yeah. a speech or two about mankind's potential for both good and evil, and that should have had at least the resonance of one of many similar speeches by everyone's mm. favourite Time Lord doc, from the Doctor Who series. You know, they had mm. some corkers of speeches in that about that kind of thing. And here they're just sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're being delivered by really fine actors. Yeah. And, no, I think and I think in some ways the fact that it is this big ensemble with a lot of mythology and exposition to I think that just doesn't even fit with Zalv's strength of what she's shown us in her previous films. Like her style is kind of in situ documentary. She uses non-professional actors. She really zones in on character studies and improvisation and this observational sensibility, which gets lost here because you're also trying to juggle action and building these super characters. And so I'd been worried how that might, I mean, I'm not saying directors can do something well and that be their signature and they can't do anything else ever. But I think, you know, if maybe it had been a one character introduction film or something like that, I think maybe that would have shone more. I don't know. But I mean, I do think some of them are introduced the juggling of who we're focusing on at what time is done as as well as it can be, considering we're juggling like eight or nine key characters plus the Celestials plus whatever's happening on Earth at the time. Oh. Uh, yeah. And there's a, a major story strand that's basically left to fade out, which I thought was curious given that they're taking a lot of pains to establish it and nourish it from yeah. the movie. It just gets dropped. Oh, one thing, you know, there's, there's, there's moves that, that it's got, but I'm hitting the cons first on this one. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the costumes are, are good, but although I'm used to them dulling down the four-colour world of the printed comic book page for the big and the small screen, you know, as we've mm. seen before, yellow spandex for the X-Men. <laughs> it, it doesn't do justice to Jack Kirby's powerful psychedelic colour palette or, or designs mm. in the way that Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok did. Because that's very much JK. And, um, you know, I mean, that's a great pity. I mean, you've got this stunningly, maybe too stunning visual (laughs) splendor of Kirby's work, and you could have given us a bit more of that. I know it's the 21st century and we're all cool and and, uh, pastels and, you know, but no. (laughs) ah. You wanted a bit more pizzazz. And the action, the action too. Although I can't, I, I will praise it for being clearly filmed for the most part, which is always mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. big thing with me. If you're going to choreograph something, for God's sake, show it. Yep. I think they, they because they're using a lot of CGI for, for, for this, if you step back to the range where that kind of look effective, it looks effective, you lose some of the dynamic element of yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I felt like I wasn't, I wanted to see some, uh, point of view shots of um, Icarus firing the his eye beams, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought the action was, was good. I enjoyed the action scenes. I mean, maybe because I went in thinking that there wasn't going to be very many, mm. uh, but I thought the action was pretty cool and I think the use of each person's power was actually juggled really well and there were some nice interactions between different people's powers working together or fighting in their individual way and getting to showcase that, but then how they combine as a team. Uh, And I did find some of the scenes were quite kinetic, but I take your point in that there probably could have been more done 
there. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't have any beef with the action okay. scenes per se. But yeah, mm. the CGI in a couple of places, I thought let the let the side down. Um, sure, there yeah. was one character who was clearly all CGI motion capture. Capture. Oh, not a major character, but yeah. But I thought you're gonna if you're gonna introduce that character here and then have him appear again, you really make have to work on that. Fix it. That, I mean, no, I won't say any more, but there were some choices made around that that I thought were a misstep. I don't mm. know if that was where that came from or if that idea is something that needs to be done, but I, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I thought that was a bit of a waste. Mm. So anyway. But as we were saying um, before, a feature of this film is the representation, and I yep. thought they got that spot on. It felt very yep. organic to everything that they put in there, and it was great. You know, I just thought, yep. you know, except – for one choice of a song, a Western ballad, an old country and Western classic that they used, and I just thought, not that song, not there. You're taking a really, <laughs> really, really touching moment and you're wrecking it. Just Right. Interesting. Of, okay. I could not I have done think I that. Remember. Yeah. Um, some of the good, I think the cinematography was very beautiful. I think it was expansive and I think some of the scenes really captured the scale that we're working with, which, you know, in some ways the scale was, that we're working with was part of the weakness of the film, but there were some beautiful shots, a lot of lovely sun-filled kind of mm. energy, lots of light, lots of, I mean, we're not talking like the lens flare a la J.J. Abrams. I just mean very a warmth. I think there was a lot of scenes where it felt quite warm and oh. Yeah. Especially when they were shooting uh, Icarus floating, levitating against the sunset, and you really got the idea that here this this creature was was a creature of the light, which is ironic mm. in his name. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, and, and so it did remind me of some of the better shots of uh, of the Man of Steel, you know. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. This yeah. is this is a character who is godlike basically. And yeah, think, yeah sure. this this kind of works. And, and mm, mm, mm. The, the one exception to the fighting, I, 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 I kind of, you've kind of moved me on that a bit. I was being really picky on the, on the fight choreography, but um, Angelina Jolie just moves well and looks great on screen when she's fighting. And yeah, uh, and but there's, you know, she's got form. <laughs> she's done this. She, she's <laughs> so absolutely much. still got it. Like yeah. I know she's taken a break from acting for. I don't know. I don't think she's done anything for a little while. Or I know she's been in Maleficent and stuff, but. I thought here she was a great choice for this. She kind of had that very aloof energy but also strength and that she was great in the fight. Like you said, her pose, her power poses and everything, spot on, her weapon handling, spot on. Such, and such, such a poser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, her, and, you know, that charisma and screen presence, like she is a star, I think, um, is fair to say. So, and I, I did like there was a mixture of lesser known actors in this as well. And I think everybody did a great job with what they had. I wanted more scenes of them together, but there were some standout exchanges where, you know, there was some light comedy. There was some, some quite warm scenes where I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting a sense of who these people are, but there just wasn't enough, so enough of that good stuff. Mm. And, yeah, the plot was exposition-y and, and, and that is kind of one of the key drawbacks, I think. But I did enjoy, I did enjoy the plot. Yeah. I think. 
There, yeah, there is did. a there is a major plot point, more than one actually. Do you remember one of the things that I was so down upon on um, whichever Star Wars prequel it is where uh, – spoiler but who cares where anakin skywalker turns to the dark side and he kills the younglings in the jedi academy or wherever it is yeah yeah yeah. you know and it's like it's delivered so flat Mm. people's reaction to it is so flat and it's like samuel l jackson for god's sake and i just think you know that actually called for a bit of emotion that one (laughs) just a little bit like you know even the emperor should have said wait what you killed all the children i never asked you to do that Dude, yeah. you are such a mongrel. <laughs> You've really gone off the rails here, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all on you, Vader. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a moment of, of something, a revelation in this mm. movie that should have actually shook the ground. Uh, and you felt it fell uh, flat, too yeah, flat. Yeah, I just, I just thought they were so busy expositing yeah. it, it that mm-hmm. they just got trampled in the content. And I'm thinking, no, dude, this deserved to have something more to it. And there was a few moments like that where I thought, "Yeah, oh, come on, this is this is this is affecting these people's entire lives, and they are very long lived." You're right. Like I think there's a lot of stakes, but very little tension. Mm. I think we're really missing that tension to kind of drive things through. But I look honestly, I'm surprised by the critical response. I do think this isn't nearly as bad as what. I was led to believe. <laughs> uh, personally, I still enjoyed it. I think there was good stuff here. Definitely some of the big rocks are weak, so the plot and the character, I mean, those are big, important things, right? Yeah. So it's just a shame that they fell short. Um, but for me, I still found it to be fairly solid, um, all that taken into consideration. But what's your overall are, final take though. are we working up towards rob giving a worse rating for a marvel movie than, I, than megan I, th- I think we are i think this yeah. is this is the vibe i got at the start and i reckon we've yeah hell's frozen over that's <laughs> <laughs> cersei's fault she can do she that has, yeah exactly exactly so yeah i think you're still coming out with a bit more of a nah no actually i'm in a uh i'm in a um uh uh a maybe mode on this one. Yeah. I don't think it's 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 not a terrible film, but it's merely hmm. it's merely okay. And this yeah. one, because it is obviously setting up a lot of stuff going forwards. I mean yeah. you know, you could even you could even plug Galactus into this, I could see, if you want to mm. retcon some stuff. It's possible you could even do that. I I think it deserved better. Yeah. And I, I think you really needed to pull out the stops for this one. Not in the not in so much the spectacle area, because it's got plenty of that. Although I will yeah. I will say one thing about that. Where the hell was the tsunami? Eh? Think about it. What they do in this movie, you think, where was the tsunami? Ah, ah uh, yeah. Anyway, maybe maybe the That is the lesser of the many plot holes that could be argued. Yes. But yes, you're quite right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but um, I mean look. This is the thing. It's all there, though, the the beginning, yeah. the middle, and the end. And the, yeah, you know, yeah. something I consider important in a movie like this, immortal procedural. Yes. They, yeah. they nailed that. Every point of the way, you know, it was like um, the, the old guard or Highlander. Yeah. It was all there, that sort of thing, just popping up every now and then. Great. And, yeah. And, and at least one of the two cameos, you know, the end credit scenes, you know there's going to be those. I was going to say, speaking of setting up, there are, of course, a mid-credit and post-credit sequence. One is really good. The other one is going to have 
Actually, they're both going to have non-Marvel Comics fans going, huh? Uh, but the second one in this I thought was great. It, it showed enormous promise, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, are they combining that? Is that going to, ooh, ah. <laughs> yeah, they're both corkers. Like, they set up some stuff. I got excited. I looked stuff up. You'll be running along to Google, you know, what on earth happened and what is all of those things, what are they suggesting to us? But it was kind of a fun note to leave things on. Mm. Well, so, yes, Eternals yeah. out now in cinemas. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> this is the thing. Are we going to get lots of people going, ah, they've stumbled. This is the end of the Marvel. You know, I doubt of it. Course. It's one film, you know, God's sake. Yeah. And, and it, even still, and it, it's, it's, still a, it's a light stumble. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> and that's it for Zero G for today. Yeah. Gosh, really whipped through that. Thank you to our podcaster, Kayla Larson, and mm-hmm. Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. I think let's go out with this is a song from the soundtrack of Eternals, and there's a little mention of this band in the film, which delighted me, and then it was followed quickly by this music drop, which also delighted me. So Chloe Zhao has said, uh, Friends is one of my favourite BTS songs. I like Jimin and he is really cute. (laughs) So we're going to listen to a BTS song. This did appear in the film Eternals and it is called Friends. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.